Hey, this is John Fanta from Fox College Hoops and Big East Shootaround. You're listening to the best podcast on the Seton Hall Pirates, Left Coast Pirates. Just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? Good afternoon, Tommy. Doing good. How you been? Can you believe we're doing this in the off season? This is what they call the dog days of summer for a reason. I mean, I, I can't watch a baseball game anymore. You got the NFL draft dragging on and the Giants sticking their foot, you know, where. And I'm just excited to get back to talking Seton Hall basketball. You, you know, it's funny. We thought we were going to have a nice, quiet off season, and it's been anything but. You know, most recently they had a decommit from Deshaun Davis. He's going to a JUCO program for whatever reason. Prior to that, there was that whole Virginia Tech flirting with Kevin Willard situation. It, there's stuff happening at all times. Uh, we're adding pieces to the roster. We got another sit-out transfer in Taco Molson uh, from over at Canisius. I mean, it's a good thing when your program is active over these summer months because to take the program to the next level in which Seton Hall fans want to see in 2019-20, this is where kind of the movers and the shakers make hay behind the scenes. So the fact that we're talking about it, that, that's a good thing. I'd rather it not be dead air for four months and all of a sudden come back and just talk about a couple guys taking the next step. This, this is good stuff for the program. Right. And, you know, we have a special guest joining us today, Mike, and I'm kind of excited about it. You know, we kind of pride ourselves in bringing on guests from all sorts of different facets uh, and connections with the team. And today we have a more traditional journalist joining us to talk about what's been going on in the offseason. I'm, I'm excited because when you have someone this connected to the program, you really get some insight that we might not have gotten. I know a lot of what we do is editorial, but I think we're going to get some more factual insight as to what's been going on. He's had 30 years of experience writing for daily newspapers, including such papers as New York Newsday and the record of Bergen County. He's been a beat writer for the New York Jets. He's currently a contributor for Forbes.com, and he covers Seton Hall basketball for PirateCrew.com on the Rivals platform. And let's welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, J.P. Pelsman. J.P., welcome. Good to be here, guys. Can't wait to uh, talk about what should be an interesting offseason. Thanks for coming on, JP. Definitely appreciate it. You know, we thought we'd have a, a quiet time in the offseason, maybe talk about a few recruits here or there, but it's actually picked up. It's like every time we think we're out, they pull us back in, JP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was surprised, guys, that the, the Willard to Virginia Tech thing took on as much uh, life as it did, but it was, it's my understanding, Virginia Tech was serious. I mean, he was someone they, they wanted. Uh, they were very interested in him and uh they made him a very good offer i was told so that that's valid there actually was a legit offer on the table yes 
Yes. There seemed to be a lot of face saving there where Virginia Tech's folks were saying, oh, no, it wasn't real. We were just they were just shaking the bushes to see what was going on out there. You're saying it was legit. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. It's my understanding that Kevin Willard left some money on the table too to stay. So how, how much I can't how much I don't know, but he did leave money on the table, I'm told. So was he that close to accepting the offer or was it really more of a leverage position in his negotiation with Seton Hall? That's a great question. I wonder if it was a little bit of leverage because let's face it, I mean, whatever, I know there are some fans who are not happy with uh, Willard and his weave sometimes and some other, uh, some other of his idiosyncrasies, uh, but obviously he's a solid coach and he is a really good family man. If you've ever, you know, if you could watch him interact with not just his wife, Julie, but his two young sons. Uh, he really cares about his family. I mean, an interesting story, guys, is his father, Ralph Willard, I mean, he actually stayed double-digit years at a high school on Long Island coaching because he didn't want to uproot the family. So that made a big impact on Kevin, who was obviously a youngster at that time. And I think at this point, he really didn't want to uproot his family, especially <clears throat> the wilds of Virginia. That's an interesting point because we've like ranked the reasons why Willard would stay or go. And it feels like when we get to that whole family aspect and you know, his kids are kind of on the younger side that if the money was big enough, that wouldn't be a determining factor. But you're you're basically saying the opposite, that that really is high on his priority list. Well, especially, especially I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, now, if, if it was... You know, remember he 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 uh, he finished up his because of his dad coaching. He finished up at Pitt. You know, if it had been Pitt knocking on the door a year ago, maybe it would have been a different answer. We'll never know. But I, I think I, I think the fact that it was a place he wasn't familiar with, uh, I, I think that had a lot to do with it. But yeah, I mean, and also what, what you guys should also know is his agent is and, and give him credit. This is what these guys are paid to do. His agent Jordan Bazant is a shark. He uh, he also got Bobby Hurley a bump from Arizona State because St. John's was interested in Bobby Hurley. Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up about Pitt because I mean, Seton Hall was riding high coming off of that you know loss to Kansas. They they showed that they could hang with the big boys. He had now had the success of taking them to the tournament for three straight years. Why was he not in the Pittsburgh conversation as much as maybe he should have been? This is what I think. I mean, uh, this is not information that I have, but this is what I think, is I do think there's a perception, and you probably heard this too, guys, that I think last year, I mean, when I say last year, 20, 2017, 18, I think there's a perception within the basketball community that Kevin underachieved a little bit with that team. Well, let's face it, you had these three, I mean, I don't want to slight Ish Sonogo, but you had these three senior stars who were all productive scorers, and obviously Angel Delgado just an incredible rebounder. I mean, all this senior senior uh, production, and you wind up in an eight nine game. I, I think you know. I think even if you gave Willard some sodium pentothal, he'd admit, yeah, you know, <laughs> we probably should have been a five or a six. Yeah, that was the same kind of reaction we had here at the podcast. So we we appreciate that. You know, because his agent's such a shark, I'm hoping that AD was doing his due diligence. Any idea if there's a solid buyout option to deter this from happening again? next year. I mean, we're all supposing that next year's team is going to be more successful. It's got to happen again if they do. Yeah, and I don't know I, I that, I got to admit, I don't know, but I also wonder if, if you have to understand, even though obviously, uh, you know, maybe maybe Willard's agent kind of took Pat Lyons a little bit to the woodshed on this as far as money, I, I mean, I think it's still a good relationship between those guys. I, I have to think that it's a weird thing for Pat Lyons and that I, I think they are good friends. They, are, they play golf together. I don't know if he'd really want to stay in his way. I know that might seem 
awful for Seton Hall people. But if something really, really good came along, so I don't know where the buy. I mean, look at look at how. Speaking of Lions, look at how. And I know he's uh, Tim Clue signed that contract because it guaranteed him stability. But look at about how his exorbitant buyout was one of the factors in St. John's not hiring him. I just don't think Willard would allow himself to be tied down to that kind of uh, kind of a buyout. Well, let me ask you this: Are programs like Pitt and Virginia Tech are are those considered stepping stones? I mean, is that the next level? I mean, money-wise, yes, they're probably going to pay better. But from a program standard, VTech is not a big winner in the ACC. Pitt is has struggled, in my opinion, since they left the Big East. Are these programs that you go to? I mean, it's not UCLA knocking on the door. No, I think that's a great point. I, I, but I think, let's face it, whether whether any of us like it or not, those of us who, who, who cover Seton Hall or follow Seton Hall or went to Seton Hall, and I'm a mid-major man myself. I went to Hofstra. But there is, especially with the Big East having a, a down year this season, there's still a stigma of you're not a Power 5 school. And because of football, even at schools, although schools get to bowl games, Pitt and Virginia Tech, but there, there's just more money available at a Power 5 school. It's just That's just really, except for some schools where they really take care of their coaches, there's always going to be more money available at a Power 5 school than at the Big East, even though I consider them a power basketball conference too. No, I, I agree with that, and I also think that Seton Hall has this reputation of being a stepping stone to, like, you know, the, the Blue Bloods. I don't think we've gotten to the point where Seton Hall is going to be in that type of classification. And we've always said that the, the, the coach that would take us to the pinnacle of success at Seton Hall would have to perceive Seton Hall to be their, their dream job or their end destination, kind of like what Jay Wright has developed at Illinois. Do we see Willard ever kind of perceiving the Seton Hall position in that light? I think he could. Like I said, I think you guys already kind of alluded to it. I think, I think next year is critical. I mean, let's see if he can get what we all think. If he can bring next year's team to the level we all think they can get, assuming Miles Powell stays which we all think will happen, but let's face it, I'm sure you guys probably, you know, you won't rest until he <laughs> until he actually confirms it. I mean, Well, I mean, he, he, I got some news on that to kind of jump in. He did not get sure. invited to the Combine, so the fact that he didn't well, get invited to the Combine, that's probably going to put the writing on the wall that he should be well, back, you no? Know? Scoopy on that, good job. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, no, that, that uh, hey, I... Uh, <laughs> I've been tied up for the NFL draft, so that's my. But, uh, uh, the Jets are busy. Jets draft, I understand. Though, but, uh, <laughs> but no, that's it. And also, but also, you guys should know this, and you probably do know. It, but I mean, Miles Powell, he just looks at Kevin Willard as just you know, pretty much even a father figure. I mean, the, the relationship between them is very special. And I know, I know, Miles was he, he was he was worried about Kevin leaving because uh, they're very very close. So yeah, no, I, then then yeah, then he'll be staying and. And again, next year's team should be very good. So, but again, does the right job open up? I mean, let's face it, Boston College, uh, <laughs> Christian's always on shaky ground there. And now, I mean, Kevin worked Boston. He worked for Rick Pitino there. That was pretty much his first job, being like a video coordinator and one of the first kind of like metrics analytics guys in the NBA. You know, what do you think about that? We don't know, but we'll see. But again, it all has to come together. From a program standpoint, JP, how prepared was Seton Hall with a secession plan? You know, that's one thing that Mike and I have always talked about. As managers, I'm hoping the AD has got a list of coaches that he says to himself, these are solid picks to replace Willard if he ever takes one of these jobs. Uh, would Seton Hall have been prepared, you think, or would the university be going through a similar boat 
to what uh, St. John's University just experienced? I have to think Lions would be prepared because he's a pretty meticulous guy. This is a, I don't think it would have been like the debacle of, uh, what was it, 13 years ago when, uh, I, mean, I don't know you know if anyone's ever discussed this with you guys on the podcast, but I mean, the debacle when Cody was basically, Richard Cody was former New Jersey governor, was basically playing uh, de-, de facto AD. And his first choice when he got rid of Lewis Orr was, was as I understand, Tom Bacora, who was at my alma mater at that point. And Bacora just thought Seton Hall was too tough a job in the Big East, didn't want to go. And then, yeah, they were scrambling. And that's how you wind up with Bobby Gonzalez, because you're scrambling. So I would think Lions is better prepared. I, I have to admit, I have no knowledge of this. I mean, I, I can't say a source familiar with Pat Lyons thinking, but you have to you have to believe that because he hired him, I think uh, we already mentioned Clues, I think would be it would have been high on that list. That's interesting. I, I know that when these t- types of conversations come up on the message board, it's interesting to kind of see the names that hit the potential list. And the name that always keeps on popping up in the in popularity is obviously Shaheen Holloway. So I, I think the concern is that Shah has his opportunity to go to St. Peter's. Maybe he gets two or three years under his belt and he kind of grooms himself to come back home. And the concern would have been if Willard had left, Shaw only having one year of experience in the head coaching spot, could he have come back that quickly? Will we missed out on that opportunity to bring, you know, the, the golden boy son back, back to the program? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think it would have been perceived as too quickly. Now, maybe again, if we're, if Willard decides to leave next year and, and Shaw has a good year at St. Peter's, then maybe that's a viable option. I mean, it wouldn't be lousy for St. Peter's, but at least two years, there's something you started to, to at least build towards something. It's really hard. Not saying team, I'm not saying schools haven't done it, but it's hard to hire a guy after one year someplace else. You really need to see a little bit more of a body of work. So in all honesty, if we lost Willard at any point, has the program reached a point of self-sustainability like Butler or Xavier has? So regardless of the coach, they'll go through some continuity issues, but they'll continue in their successful ways. I don't know about that. I, now, granted, I know this, we're talking 25 years ago, but... Everything I've always heard being around the program and being around people that have been around the program for a long time is, you know, that was PJ's uh, kind of problem and that he realized at some point, and obviously he's gotten them to a level where, you know, I know this is kind of before you guys' time, but in 1994, there's no way, no way, and I lived through it, there's no way they should have been in the tournament. They were not good that, they were not good enough that year, but they kind of made it on reputation. Of course, got bounced by Michigan State in the first round, but, uh, but I think PJ saw the writing on the wall that, this was never going to be, like you said, one of those other Big East programs or, or a national program like Syracuse or Carolina or whomever, where you just kind of uh, plug and play and and it just keeps rolling along. And honestly, I don't know if it's changed that much in 25 years. Let's face it, as much as, you know, and again, I've spent so much time around the school. I mean, I like I like the campus, but it's it's not the easiest sell. And, you know, you, the, the way Seton Hall's always been, been successful these last 20 years, uh, I mean, it's post-Amaker with both Willard and Lewis Orr when they went twice to the tournament under him is getting the overlooked guys and then coaching them up. So I, I do remember that 1994 season. They were they were 8-10 and 10 in the Big East and actually got in. I remember a lot of people saying they got in on reputation more than anything else, which was a, a nod to PJ. Does this all come back to the whole money factor? You kind of alluded to it with some of the campus facilities. Is it we keep on circling the wagons on this topic and other podcasts? We don't have the big five money, we don't have the big five facilities, we don't have the on campus arena. Is this just going to be kind of something that Seton Hall is plagued with in this ability to create it's a It's always going to be there a little bit. I know, I know Lions has some plans for th- there's what they could do to build a practice facility. And I mean, I know there's one like on the way eventually, 
But the problem always is, as you guys well know from being there, is where do you build? There's, it, you're kind of locked in. There's not, you know what I mean? You can't just, uh, you know, you can't chop down the rest of the neighborhood and say, okay, let's build out. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not located in the, uh, uh, you know, Paducah or someplace where you could just, oh, well, there's an open field there. We'll build a, put a building there. I, I do have to say, JP, you've become our favorite guest. I was a sophomore in that 94 season, so I remember it well. But now, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you guys were younger. My, my <laughs> no, 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 please. <laughs> well, that's great. I love maybe it. That's, maybe that's a positive, yeah. But uh, you I know, know so, you were—I know you were Carino's contemporaries. Yeah, yes, yes. Jerry was uh, editor um, at the Setonian while I was there. One of my fraternity brothers wow. was on his staff, actually. I was oh, going to wow. start—I was going to start name dropping and saying, "Hey, they lost to Sean Respite or Respert or something <laughs> like that from Michigan State." Yes, right? was that, yes. Was that Judd Heathcliff uh, was still the coach back then. He was still the coach. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, his right. time yet. There you go. But, you know, success is a relative term, JP, and what's considered successful at Seton Hall can obviously be considered a failure elsewhere. But, you know, here's the problem I have with Coach Willard and and his fans and the people that anoint him the savior of the program. You know, let's forget about the first four or five years where we struggled. You know, teams are always going to struggle in a change like that, especially after a Gonzo era. But we've never finished better than third in the Big East. We've won one Big East tournament in nine years he hasn't been able to capitalize on that one big recruiting class and we're one in one and four in in the ncaa tournament i mean he's not really blown the doors off the program well the the the, the problem you have there and it's let's face it we've all we've all talked about it and and we I, I think people like myself and Jerry have written about it, and and uh, you know it's something we dance around a little bit, but it, it has to be said. Boy, boy, is that a radio tease? But uh, <laughs> let's face it, it's those it's those durned January swoons. It's always wow. Oh, look at these big non-conference wins. Oh, wow. Oh, look, they they won a big game early in the Big East season. Then January comes. Blah, you know, just this this swoon, just this slump. And I, I mean, I know Willard realizes that's the case, but he still hasn't been able to figure out. My theory, and it's not a radical theory, is he runs. And maybe this is again why you guys are a bit frustrated, why some fans are frustrated. He runs the same stuff. He runs his offense. And let's face it, teams in the Big East know what's coming, especially the veteran coaches, the Ed Cooley's, the Jay Wrights, they know what's coming and they defend it. And all they do is like, okay, well, how is he running his his old stuff with the new people? And once they figure that out, it's a problem. And then they, then all of a sudden, then, then they rebound and, and, and switch things up a little bit in February and start winning again. But you know what? Until, yeah, they're never going to finish above third in the Big East until they can eliminate those three and four game losing streaks that, that always clobber them. See, I, I agree with that, but I'm, but I'm going to take it one further. I'm going to quote John Fanta here. John alluded to the fact that he believes we're prisoners of the success of the 1989 season and that ultimately the fan base wants to, and, and specifically a pro sports championship oriented type culture in the, in the tri-state area, they want to get back to that pinnacle of success and to be back in the tournament on a consistent basis or to challenge to be relevant in the top 25, that should be the bar for Seton Hall. Agree or disagree? Well, I think that should definitely be the bar because, I mean, I know there are some fans who, who listen, make your Final Four again. That's going to be difficult. But again, the Big East isn't the Big East we all knew. I mean, especially not the one that it was 10 years ago. I mean, there's room for upward mobility in the Big East. And I think at some point, Seton Hall has to take that ball and run with it. And I, again, do I think Kevin Willard can get it done? Yes, I do. I mean, he's, listen, there's, there's more, a lot more good than bad about him. But again, Again, sometimes he needs to 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 uh, look, you know, maybe self scout a little bit better, you know, and see what he could what he could do to fix.
fix those slumps because to me those are the things that hold Seton Hall back year after year those those slumps and, and one of the things that hold them back I think a little bit is actual recruiting and we got that one big recruiting class we lucked into Miles Powell I think because he got injured sometime during his late high school uh, but you know recruiting's really hurt it and we've done a lot more recruiting uh, in the transfer area than the high school recruit area. Why do you think we're having issues there? Well, I think, again, I, I'm not here to, to, to bash Kevin because I, I like Kevin. I mean, but we all know he's not the most dynamic personality. He's he's not for everyone. And I guess there are some players who just want to be wowed and bowled over by, I mean, I'm switching sports by like by like a Rex Ryan type. I always thought Rex Ryan, instead of going to TV, I mean, it's too much work for him probably, but he should have gone and become a college coach. Because could you imagine Rex Ryan going to some, some players' living room? Oh, 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 you know, and he just bowled them over. Well, and and there are people like I'm sure Calipari's like that. These these outsized, larger than life personalities. That's not Kevin Willard and never will be. And you know what? He can't fake it. So that would be wrong too. My point is he needs to have his assistants do the brunt of the work because he's not going to be someone that's that's going to wow a recruit and get him to come. But I think I think he gets transfers because they look and say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have gone with the guy that wowed me. Maybe I should go with someone who will improve my game. And I mean to me, it's whatever way you get it done. Uh, what did John Lennon say years ago? Whatever gets you through the night. I mean, <laughs> he's doing it his way, but I agree. And, and of course, and you guys mentioned this to me earlier, it is problematic that they can't seem to get to get that uh, you know, really quality Big East point guard. And they're always having to kind of scramble and, and use somebody that's out of position, whether it's an Isaiah Whitehead, a Kadeen Carrington, or a Quincy McKnight. Yeah, we're hoping that changes this year, especially with Anthony Nelson. You know, he's a we're big fans of his, you know, and it's odd that he hasn't been able to, excuse me, recruit a point guard like that, especially with Sean, the staff. You figured that young point guards would have just gravitated to a staff that had a point guard that did so much for us uh, back when he was a player. Yeah, it's surprising, too. But again, you know, there's also the problem of, of guys. I'm not giving them an excuse, but it's a problem St. John's has suffered from, too, is you get so many guys in the New York, New Jersey area, they just want to go away. So. You know, you kind of sometimes I think you have to concentrate your recruiting elsewhere. But again, I can't explain it. It, it doesn't make sense. But I do think uh, I was impressed. You know, I was impressed with guys about Nelson was that he never put his head down, even though things weren't going well. I mean, he never put his head down. And, and when McKnight uh, tweaked his groin in that uh, Big East tournament game, Nelson was ready to go. So I give him a lot of credit. He, he he's If he can develop any kind of a shot, whether it's a three-pointer, whether it's a two-point floater in the lane, just some kind of shot that people don't have to, can't always play off him. I mean, he could be really good. It doesn't have to be from the three-point line. I, I know that the game has changed and you want to penalize teams with that, with that ability to shoot the three, but he has such a quick first step. If he could shoot that shot, as a pull-up from the free throw line, I think he'd be deadly. Exactly. Exactly. But okay, so look, look, we're we're talking about not being able to kind of land the the high school recruit with that kind of consistency that we would like to see. But the landscape of college recruiting has definitely changed. The the transfer numbers, to, to my liking, I'm just I don't like it that they skyrocketed. We're 900 plus into the transfer portal now. Players don't stick it out with their programs and develop like they used to, which probably makes it even harder for coaches like Willard to keep that kind of team chemistry. Should Seton Hall be building a bigger component of their recruiting process around this transfer portal? Grad transfers? Oh, I, they, I, don't I know. definitely think they should. First of all, I agree with, I agree with you. I, 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 it's funny. I don't mind, even though some people do, I, I don't mind the, 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 the grad transfer thing because 
Uh, granted, there's a reason why a guy uh, gets his degree there without playing four years. I understand that. But at least you're rewarding somebody for being a student athlete and, and getting a piece of paper. But as far as just the normal sit-out transfers, I mean, and again, I'm glad to find out you guys are older than I thought you were. But uh, <laughs> and but I'm older, I'm older, even older than that. I mean, uh, I graduated Hofstra in 86. But uh, maybe I sound like a get-off-my-lawn guy. And I know there are, I know there are say, football coaches complaining about this. But I do think part of the transfer thing, especially the sit-outs, is it's this millennial thing of oh oh things are oh this is the first time i've ever faced adversity uh, uh should i stick it out now i won't stick it out just go someplace else well that, that goes back to the culture of the it. sorry to cut you off there but that goes back to the culture of the aau no basketball team right i no mean doubt. when you, you're talking about in the 80s that there was no aau basketball team it was like you know the parochials and you know the, the different group levels playing in tournament of champions high school basketball was the pinnacle and it's not even on the radar anymore. Well, you just you and you just hit it, you just hit the nail on the head. Is again, I'm sorry to keep comparing, but because I've covered that a little bit. But the one thing, the biggest difference, forget everything else, the biggest difference between recruiting in college football and college basketball is because there's no AU, no travel teams in college football. The high school football coach is still the one you have to knock on the door of. Like you said, in basketball recruiting, he doesn't even matter. He's not even in the in the conversation. It's it's all buttering up the AU and travel team coaches. So you're right, and, and that's I think that's part of why this culture is kind of out of control. Because at least I'm not saying they're all saints, but high school coaches have a stake in in, in their players. Whereas some of these, I, I, again, I'm not saying all AU coaches are bad. They're not. But let's face it, these guys change AAU teams like they change socks. And I also don't see a discipline in their game when they come to the the college level. It seems like they're they have this raw potential offensively, but they don't have defensive fundamentals. I mean, they, they don't see the, the Jay Wright jump stop and, and some of the basic things that you should be uh, incorporating into your game at that point. It's very, very raw. And that makes it even harder for a coach to you know really put their roster together because if they don't make those quantum leaps, they're out the door in a year or two. It, it, it's really frustrating. Yeah, well, again, I know I'm free associating, but and believe me, I'm not an NBA guy, but that's why the NBA likes so much drafting Euros because they feel like those guys already have the fundamentals down. They, they, I mean, there is... You're exactly right. There's a, a fundamentals in, in 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 sports and in basketball, especially in the U.S., have gone down because of those systems. Because you know, it's funny. It, it really is funny when you think about it. That again, I grew up in an era. Now, I believe me, I had no athletic talent whatsoever. But uh, I grew up in an era where, especially at a small high school like mine, you know, the, the the same guys would play basketball and baseball and football. You know, everyone's specializing now, but they still don't know the fundamentals. It's bizarre. You know, I'll, I'll take a different point from you and Mike. I don't mind the transfers as much. I, I think it's getting to a, a point where it's way too much. But if you take a look at guys like Duval at Duke and Quinterly at Villanova, sometimes you just don't fit into a system. Sometimes it doesn't work for you. You know, maybe it's being away from home. Maybe it's the coach doesn't play the same way that your game dictates and you want to go somewhere else. So I don't mind it to that level the Marquette situation blows my mind with the Hauser brothers I don't get what's happening over there so I'm kind of on the fence on this now not to belabor that point JP what do you think the biggest area of need for Seton Hall is right now if they do go out and target a grad transfer for next year shooter I mean they need somebody unless unless some
somehow, and, and I know if you look at Miles Kale's overall numbers, they're, they're okay. But let's face it, he didn't shoot well from beyond the arc in the Big East, and that's where you need him. I mean, he had one or two good games, but I mean, wow, it was just, and it's odd because he has such good form. Sandro Mamu, I'm sorry, I'm on the mood to try to pronounce his name. I apologize. <laughs> Mama Lukashvili. Mama Lukashvili. Mamu Kelashvili. Come on, Mama JP. Mamu Kelashvili. JP, don't Mama worry about it. Just call him Sandro. He, he doesn't yeah. deserve the nickname Ma- yet. Mamu, because Gary Colin pronounces it great. I always say to Gary, like, how do you do I know he's a pro. I know he's as good as it gets. But anyway, yeah, because I just screwed it up. Anyway, but And he looks like he has good form. It's almost like a set shot. But, man, they just don't go in enough. I mean, but I don't know where you get where you get that grand transfer shooter who's going to be content with 15 or 20 minutes because I don't know how many minutes next year's team can spare. And that's been the conversation is, you know, the, the guy who's going to want to be a grad transfer doesn't want to be the, you know, eighth man in the puzzle, right? That they want to be a significant contributor. I believe if that guy could shoot to the level that we're asking for, he'll carve out his, his minutes. You know I mean? Other guys are going to have to step up their game to keep that guy buried on the bench, but that guy doesn't want to come in knowing that that's a potential. So, so I get it. That being said, are those guys going to be able to step their game up? It's a lot to ask. You got Roden, you have Kale, you have Sandro. Or are those three going to elevate their three-point shooting to the point where they alleviate the stress from, from Miles? I, I don't know. I don't know either. That is the, that is the biggest question because also – and also, that's where they have to, I think, and this isn't on Willard because they, they try to teach it, but, and I don't want to single out any player because they're all not very good at it, but wow. You know, I'm not, I'm not Bobby Knight when he was still, you know, kind of lucid, uh, <laughs> breaking, down, breaking down a game. I mean, I'm not that good, but I do know, especially, thank you, YouTube, when you look at some of these end game plays and you look at these screens they're trying to set and it's like, nobody can set a screen. No wonder, no wonder Powell can't get a clean look at late in the game. Not the double team but nobody can set a screen and and i can't totally blame kevin for that i mean their offensive execution away from the ball needs to become a lot better for the team to fulfill its potential next year so say we target a grad transfer someone wants to come we're at our full scholarship list right here who loses it yeah i mean well that's a good question i mean it doesn't seem like i mean what i'm hearing is it doesn't seem like either the guys we would expect to be leaving really want to leave meaning torian thompson and darnell brody so i don't know i mean Thompson, obviously, we, we you know we got one chance to talk to him. And that was it. I mean, he seems seems to be a happy guy, but I don't know what his deal is. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I give him credit. He didn't sulk. He was always you know cheering on his teammates. And even uh, I saw him. Uh, here's a funny story for you guys. I'm sitting with Jerry where we're uh, behind the scores table at the uh, NCAs in Jacksonville, and we're close to the Seton Hall bench. We can we can hear a lot of what Kevin's saying, and and he's. He's in the huddle. He's breaking up, breaking up the huddle, and uh, Thompson goes over and uh, steals a piece of his gum. <laughs> I mean, this, know, is, but- this is this is no slight to Thompson or Brody, but doesn't it surprise you that at this point in their career or their, where the the pieces are kind of lining up, that it would make sense for them to explore other opportunities? Unless Thompson well, really feels like he's going to turn the corner this year and to, you know conform better to Kevin's system. I, I I haven't figured it out. Yeah, no, I don't either, and especially Thompson because honestly, if I were in his shoes, I kind of just swallow my pride and this i honestly mean this i'd swallow my pride and say let me let me transfer to a d2 and light it up and maybe that gets me something overseas and maybe i can you know somehow then get back to the g league or whatever but i mean for a guy whose whose stated goal a few years ago was to be in the nba by now i mean it, it's kind of sad because I, I mean you watch some of the play i mean and i understand he's lost on defense because he doesn't fit into kevin's defensive system it's like he's also forgotten how to play offense i saw him make a move inside 
against Georgetown down in D.C. I, I was in, I was there in person, and he he lays the ball under the backboard. He hits the <laughs> underside of the backboard. How do you do that when you have that much talent? It's mind-boggling. I, I don't understand it myself, but Thompson, I, I love Thompson. I don't know why. Maybe it was when they won the Wooden Classic, they had like an after game in the locker room camera. And I think he was the first one to like pour some water over Willard's head. He really seems to love being part of that team. He does. He does. He does. Like I said, I mean, how many guys who just are getting no run at all, just came in all hyped like he was as a transfer from Syracuse, just getting nowhere at all. But every time you look at the bench late in the season when they're winning one of those big games, he's he's cheering as much as anybody. I mean, it's hard it's hard not to like the young man, but you just wonder what his future is if he stays around. I, I think everybody wants to believe that what we got in you know that lightning in a bottle moment in the Kentucky game is there right. on a consistent basis. I mean, they just you see that performance and he makes the pass to Kale and Tom and I were like, oh, he's putting up that shot. Ninety nine out of a hundred times from what we had seen from him at that point. That shot's going up, and the light bulb went off. He makes the pass to Kale, and you're like, this is the guy. This is the guy that we thought we were going to get, and it just it just hasn't come back outside of those sporadic moments. But well, and, yeah, and, that first, and the first DePaul game, I mean, he kind of brought Seton Hall back, you know, but of course then he wasn't on the floor at the end but because, because obviously Kevin reasons. But Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 not to digress back to that DePaul game, I, I wasn't a fan of the shot selection. They were going in that day, but – he was hitting three pointers, fading away on the baseline. He took like a twenty-seven foot NBA that's a three fair pointer. Point. No, that's a fair point. No, that's a that's a fair point. It's hard to make a living on those, but uh, I know one day I wouldn't want to have had man was shooting at three at the end of the game. But that's another story. But well, I, I, I'm going to ask the question that probably is not going to be a, a popular question across the board because you know he's a he's a fan favorite at this point. But let's say Brody and Thompson continue to honor you know their scholarship and they want to stick it out. And we actually find the opportunity, whether it be a grad transfer that fits this need of a shooter, or it's just a uh, a sit sit out transfer that you just cannot pass up based on the skill level uh, of, of talent. Do they rescind the scholarship to Shavar in any capacity? I knew that's where, I knew that's where you're going. I mean, honestly, honestly, if it were up to me, I would. I mean, again, you talk about somebody who it's hard not to like. I mean. Goodness, I mean, just just does everything right. I mean, father is 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 a military guy. I mean, stationed overseas a lot. I mean, he's a guy you want to root for, but and 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 man, he gives it everything on defense. But obviously, I'm you know, this is you know, yeah, yeah, she's got a great personality. Yeah, you will love her. But uh, let's face it, that's where I'm going here. But man, I mean, yes, that was an incredible shot against St. John's. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't have happened except for Mike Stevens. But, but wow, he's just so limited on offense. I mean, he shot. I, I, I'm remembering this off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's correct. I'm not even looking at my computer, guys, Mike and Tom. But five for 33 from beyond the arc, that's hard to do. And, and Willard that's was saying that he was the second best shooter on the roster. So, I mean, I don't know if Willard was just trying well, to kind of defend the well, kid. And, no, but I'm, you know? I've heard. I've heard. Here's a name for the past. Again, because you guys have been around so long. I've heard. Again, that's what I've heard. He's another, another Manny Messi type that when the lights aren't on... Everything goes in. I, mean, I once watched Messi in a in a in a pregame, not the shoot around, but right before the game. Oh my God, he was lining it up, and I'm like, where's this guy go when the game starts? I mean, but I mean, Manny Manny he's for- like that way in practice, but I don't know if the game is too big for him or not. I don't know. No, I remember Manny. Manny. I mean, this is maybe I'm over exaggerating, but he had like a Kevin Garnett type body, right? Wiry, Dude, long. I mean. He looked- I mean- Again, since I'm, we're bringing up old-time people, I mean, yeah, he was what uh, – I forget if it was – I don't want to credit the wrong guy, but well, I'll throw them both out. I don't know if it was, it was 
you know, Vital or the late Al McGuire, but he was like the all-airport team because he looked the part. He looked like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, this guy's got to be a star. That sounds, like a him, she, that, look, that sounds like a McGuire thing. I think that's a McGuire one. Yeah, I don't think it's a Dickie V one. You're right. I think it's a McGuire. But, uh, and, then, and then the lights go on. It's like, where did it go? We've talked about this ad nauseum. I, I understand why the fans like him. I definitely understand why the press likes him. You know, he's a great story. He's out there working hard but it's hard to understand giving a sophomore a a scholarship and it wasn't like a phil flory uh, situation where flory was a highly recruited kid out of uh, out of wisconsin he had a marquette commitment early on in his high school career he gets injured and he kind of tried to play his way through shavar really came out of nowhere and freshman year we were joking he probably had the most shots per second of anyone on the team you know he'd come in for those last 45 seconds of a blowout and he was jacking shots he was getting in that box score one way or another that's okay he's a walk-on that that's acceptable and i think i think if he was a junior in that situation and then we gave him a scholarship for his senior season because it was being unused i'm okay with that it's the fact that you've now from a pr perspective almost committed to a three-year scholarship otherwise you have to have this conversation in the media and explain why Everything that's a, a positive story about this kid has to now be a negative when we take a scholarship away. It's just not a situation you want to be in. No, I mean, again, if it, it, I, I admire Willer for doing it. I, I, I think, you know, his heart obviously was in the right place. But, wow, it, it's a tough thing to do when you just look at his offensive skill set when the lights go on. And it's just not – I think his defense is Big East caliber, but his offense just is not. All right. I feel like we beat up uh, Shavar enough on this podcast. It's not fair to the kid. Let, let, let's move on for the sake of moving on. Uh, I like reading a lot of these uh, articles for the way too early top 25 predictions. And it's kind of caught my eye that Seton Hall is getting a lot of love. I don't know if it's because some of the writers are lazy and they just – able to kind of highlight Miles Powell, but right now I've seen Seton Hall as of yesterday as high as 10 in some of these preseason rankings. Is it just me or is that way too high? That's a little high. I mean, to me, they're top 20, but they're closer to like, if we're going to do the way too early thing, they're like 18 or 19. Think, but think about it now. You, you just look at you, you guys, like a time you, you, you referenced it before. I mean, uh, obviously Marquette took a huge hit with, with the Hauser brothers leaving. And I have to think that, I don't think it's a coincidence that that was announced after Marcus Howard said he was staying. So, uh, you know, I don't, I'm saying I have any information there, but you got to think they were like, well, not, not as many shots here all of a sudden. Uh, there weren't a lot of shots last year. <laughs> well, exactly. well, that too. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. I mean, uh, and again, that's one thing. Again, I, I don't want to, well, I am going off on a tangent, but that's one great problem Seton Hall doesn't have. And I think people in basketball community know that is, first of all, everyone on the team knows that Miles Powell is the man. And secondly, cheese is so unselfish. Sometimes I feel like saying, oh, Miles, you know what? Don't be so unselfish. <laughs> really? There's some times where it's like, I, if I were a Seton Hall booster, I'd rather have sometimes him launching a, a contested three than passing it to somebody else. Don't say Sandro, Tom. Don't say Sandro, Tom. I, I, I love everybody. <laughs> I love all the guys. So so with, with the problems Marquette had it in this past offseason and Nova not really being – Nova, as it normally is, does Seton Hall have a shot at winning the Big East title this year? I think so. But again, to me, Nova's the king until you dethrone them. And I think it's funny, you guys brought up Quinterly before. I wanted to comment on that because I think that was a rare mistake. And again, listen, again, I, I put my cards on the table. I'm a Hofstra guy. So I'm definitely a Jay Wright fanboy. There's no doubt about that. He, he did a lot for my school. And but I do think he reached there because Jay Wright has gotten Villanova 
to where it is because he doesn't take those kind of guys. And nothing against Javon Quinley, but he takes guys who who he knows are going to play the Villanova way. I mean, he. You know, I mean, it's just hard for him to to work in these one and done, two and done type of guys, and they're just not his style. But yeah, there there isn't as much talent as it used to be. But until they until somebody dethrones it. But yeah, I mean, Seton should get first place votes. They certainly should get Jays. And uh, yeah, they should be up there. And again, now we get back to the old question of again, we all know it. Kevin Willard's better when the expectations are lower. All right. So, well, we we know the expectation is not going to be that low. So what what is the ceiling for where this team you know could shake out for the NCAA tournament seating? assuming they're going to get back to the dance? I mean, to me, they, they should be no lower than a five or six, and they could be even better than that. I mean, you know, I mean, although I'll tell you, it's going to be, you know, another gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. But, I mean, this team has a lot of pieces. Again, it would help, though, if – and I know – Kevin's not the guy to run off people. It would help if some of these guys realize, you know what, maybe this isn't the place for me because they could use, you know, another piece, another piece, especially to, to help out Powell in terms of shooting. So talking about that piece, on the team, which player will have the greatest impact outside of Cheese? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'll, re- I'll rephrase it. Who has to have the biggest impact? Uh, I said it before. I mean, Kale. I mean, the, the talent is there, but I mean, and, and the form is good. The form of the threes is good. And when he's in a rhythm, boom, he can knock them down. I really think he's the guy that has to take a step. And also, he needs to, he needs to be more consistent on defense. Listen, I don't. I don't mind if I'm if I'm a Seton Hall guy. I don't mind Cheese sometimes conserving himself on defense. He has he has no choice because they need his offense so badly, and he knows how to do it. He knows how to pick his spots. But I mean, I mean, when Georgetown came into the Rock in February, I mean, and again, I'm not trying to denigrate someone, but I mean, I saw Greg Malinowski, the the William Murray grad transfer at Georgetown, just blow by Kale. I'm like, no, no, that's not supposed to happen. He's got to be better on defense. So, so Kale seems to be a popular pick to, uh, when that's question answered to, to different people we've talked to. I'm more concerned that Sandro has to take the bigger step. No, I mean, Mamu's... Well, you asked me for one guy, but Mamu, yeah, because Mamu... I think what's maddening to everyone, and probably to you guys certainly, is, and I don't know how many times we saw this this year, he's freaking driving through the lane like, you know, just like he's ready to freaking dunk it and, and wind up on Sports Center. Then he just like takes the ball and flicks it to somebody for for like a contested three. It's like, what are you doing? So I mean, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to so go here. He gets the knock for having this, you know, uh, stereotypical soft Euro perception, and I would like I to see him play with more of a mean streak, right? I think he does have a mean streak but I think he's too unselfish. And I think also, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say soft because he does rebound pretty decently, but I will say this. He does have that Euro thing. Well, or maybe just, maybe it's his personality. I don't think Mamu knows how good he is. And that's something I know Willard has talked about that, that that's like something he has to drill into him. Like he doesn't realize how good he can be if he just lets the game come to him and do his thing and not worry about, well, I got to set up this guy or set up that guy. Just do your thing, man, and you'll be great. He has a, No, you're right. He has the potential to be, I mean, to be the, the, the Robin to, to uh, Powell's Batman, no question. All right, so, so speaking of Miles, I, I think we all know the, the the sky's the limit. So let, let's talk about Miles. We, we, we were going to, we're, we're knowing now we have the confidence that he's going to come back because he didn't get invited to the uh, the draft combine. Preseason Big East Player of the Year, Miles or Marcus? It's still, it's still Howard because he, because because he won it. I mean, that's just the way that's just the way the world works. But he should get a lot of votes and and also that's going to I'll tell you what, it's going to motivate it's going to motivate him even more 
that Howard is coming back because there's definitely a friendly rivalry there. So he's not going to lack for motivation. And he, he's a motivated guy. He's a team guy. But no, like I said, I just can't see it. To me, it's almost a no-brainer that always if the defending guy comes back, he's the preseason player. What about any of the uh, preseason All-American teams? Does he crack? Does he crack the top three for first, second, or third team? I could see, yeah, I could see third team because you look at all the, uh, you you know, he was honorable mention in places and so many of those guys are gone. I mean, yeah, I could definitely see it and he deserves it. I mean, he what he did that last few weeks was incredible when he put them on his back and, you know, he showed he could handle the pressure and that was, I think, something everyone was wondering about. Because let's face it, he did have some, I don't, I don't know, slump is the word, but he had some valleys, let's put it that way. He did. He, but, uh, he, he got a little emotional in some of the games, and I thought that deterred from his ability to be as effective as he was in the, the Big East tournament run. A- absolutely. Well, if, if he can stay on one of those runs and, and kind of fill it up like he has the ability to, there, there's another milestone that's uh, ahead of him besides team success. He could break Terry DeHare's record. Tom and I have debated how many points he has to score and how many games the team has to play into the postseason, but He's got a shot, in my opinion. But does he break the record? I'm going to say no, just because he is a little, and there's not, there's not lack of the hair, but that he is unselfish. And but again, it's I think he's going to fall just a little short. Just like uh, you guys remember, Andre Barrett fell just a little short of uh, Shaw's assist record. But uh, well, on, but the, yeah. on, the, on the scoring front, he's got to put almost like 25 points a game. And, and Tom and I were saying, if he's got to score 25 points a game consistently, we don't see this team making as deep of a run as they probably need to in order for him to break the record. Well, if if the he's be successful, he's got to be like what 22 uh, up his assist total, and the whole team plays better, right? Yeah, and and again, and yeah, and they have to make the second. Weekend, if the NCAA is. All right. Regardless of where he finishes on the all-time scoring list, I think Powell is putting himself in the upper pantheon of Seton Hall greats. In your opinion, where does he kind of fall on that list? I mean, we're, we're talking, we're starting to get into like top five because not just because of the production, but because of the attitude. You look at, you you look at some of the people that have come through this last decade, especially some of the guys Gonzo brought in, and you got you had so many guys that were kind of uh, they were putting the team second because well, I gotta okay, well the, the guy I'm thinking of was just Jeff. Robinson. I mean, they needed him to play near the basket, but he thought, well, I'm going to jack up threes and jumpers because that's how I think I'm going to somehow make the NBA. Good luck with that. But uh, you look at Powell, guys, and he just, I mean, if he were selfish, he'd be like, oh, I got to handle the ball more. I got to show people I can handle. I got to do this. No, no, no. He does what's best for the team, and he knows that's for him, like you said, fill it up. And and just also, you see him, man, when you see him after a loss, you just know how much this guy cares. I think that's what, that's what I mean, <laughs> I know it's a cliche, but I remember my dentist used to have a a thing on uh, 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 something on his wall and it said uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and Miles Powell cares more than anyone. He is so, I mean, this is a guy that does bleed Seton Hall blue. And, and uh, yeah, I think he's going to be like top five in people's memories once he's done. Okay, JP. So there's one thing we make all our guests do. And if you listen to the podcast, you knew it was coming. If you haven't, it's a great surprise for you. We call it walk the plank. We give you five rapid fire questions. We want five rapid fire quick answers from you. No explanations needed. Do you think you're ready? I'll go for it, sure. Question number one, best Seton Hall game you ever covered? 
2004 NCAA tournament win over Arizona. Best Seton Hall player you've seen live? Andre Barrett. Best opposing player you've gotten to see play against Seton Hall? Mick Okafor. Any sports personality to interview past or present, who would it be? Pete Rose. Any sporting event that you could cover, what would it be? Uh, first four in Dayton. JP, congratulations. You've walked the plank. Right, we don't normally <laughs> ask follow-up questions on walk the plank, but first four in Dayton? Why? I, I, I got to know the answer to that one. Give me, give me some more depth. Because I'm a, an NCAA tournament junkie. I've never done it. Uh, I mean, not to brag, but back in the days when, uh, you know, more money was available, I covered six Final Fours. Okay. I've covered I've covered the NCAA tournament 15 different years. I've never done a first four game in Dayton. Again, you guys remember this. Think about this. If I mentioned Andre Barrett before, if the first four, if the play-in games existed, don't you think Seno would have been in a play-in game in 2003? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, thought, oh, yeah. I thought they got snubbed. I, that didn't feel right. They were ten and six. Like no Big East team had not made it with double digit conference wins. That, that was Correct. that was surprising to me. Yeah, and 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 a lot of most of the, most of the pundits. I know there weren't as many back then had them in, but I just think that. I mean, I just love the tournament, and I think I've heard it's a great atmosphere. Dayton supports it, and and I just think it will be fun. Whether it's the eleven v eleven or the sixteen v sixteen, I, I, I would love to do that. JP Pelsman, thank you for joining us here on Left Coast Pirates Live. You've been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the uh, invite, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Nah, we appreciate your candidness for some of the tougher questions we taught you too. So thank you very much. Thank you, JP Pelsman. Everybody. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former walk-on John Yablonski, former WSOU color commentator Mike McEnany, and 1989 team manager Clark Holly. For Tom Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast.